It's good to be back with you again and to see each one of you here today. <clears throat> These last three Sundays with you, I have three very special messages. One of them today is from Genesis chapter 41, a most amazing chapter, almost unbelievable. Next Sunday, the title is Proof of Christianity. Be a good one not only to be here, but to bring your friends. Let's go then to Genesis 41. And by the way, the first song we sang, it's amazing how that ties in so well with Genesis 41. And of course, the last song, God is Able, that we need to know and trust in as well, do we not? <clears throat> well, one of the most amazing people of the Bible is Joseph. Many years later, there was a man named Augustine. And Augustine said, we are made for God and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We are made for you and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Yesterday we went to a wedding and it was a very secular wedding and it made me realize how much is lacking from a person's life when you leave God out of things. And one of the main things we learned from Joseph, a most amazing life, is that God cares for those who trust in him. God cares for those who trust in him. And so the logical thing is to trust in him, to depend on him, to believe on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and came alive from the dead, who is able to help us with whatever our problems may be. And one of the things about Joseph that is most significant he had a ton of problems. Well, what happened before Genesis 41, this amazing exaltation chapter? If you go way back to Genesis 37, you'll find that Joseph enters the picture as it were. We find that he's favored by his father Jacob, also called Israel. He gave him a special coat a tunic of many colors. And his half-brothers were greatly envious of that. When you study that family, you discover it's a very dysfunctional kind of family. <laughs> but at any rate, his brothers were very jealous and they did not like Joseph. Well, eventually, the father sent Joseph to check on the brothers who were taking care of the flocks. They saw him coming. They remembered that earlier he had had some dreams that he had shared with them. Some people have sometimes wondered, should he have shared those dreams with them? Should he told them what he had dreamed? Maybe he should have kept his mouth shut. No, I think he should have shared it. It helped show 
that God knows the beginning from the end. Well, in one of the earlier dreams, Joseph had dreamed that he and his brothers were binding sheaves in the field. And his sheaf got up, and then their sheaves got up and bowed down to his sheaf. <laughs> well, they, of course, didn't like that. But he had another dream. And in that dream, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to him. And so they were furious when they heard these dreams. And even the father, even though he paid attention, he didn't like it. Shall we basically come and bow down to you? Well, God let them know decades ahead of time what was going to happen. God is in charge. God is able. So at any rate, when they saw Joseph coming now to check on them, as his dad has sent him to do, they were so full of hatred to him because of his preference, because of his dreams, some of them said, let's kill him. Imagine that. Want to kill your brother? Out a horrible thought. Of course, many of them were half-brothers. But at any rate, they wanted to kill him. The older one, Reuben, didn't want him to kill him. He suggested, let's just put him in this pit here. So they took him and they threw him in the cistern, a deep pit out of which he could not climb. And they sat down and they ate. And about that time, a caravan of merchantmen were passing by. Some Midianites, some others, they were going into Egypt. And one of them came up with the bright idea, let's sell Joseph to them. So that's what they did. They pulled him out of the pit. They sold him as a slave. You see, the merchantmen would take him into Egypt and then sell him at a profit. So that's how Joseph got into Egypt. A traumatic way indeed. Imagine if your family had turned against you like that and had wanted to kill you. And then you were sold as a slave. That would be a horrible experience, a very traumatic kind of experience. Well, there in Egypt, he was purchased by a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was the captain of the guard. And so Potiphar got him. And God was so with Joseph. I was thinking of Psalm 1, where it says in verse 3, whatever he does shall prosper. As you check Joseph's life, you find this is very true. And in Potiphar's life, it certainly occurred. He was so blessed and such a good slave in the home that Potiphar made him the head person of the home. In fact, God was blessing so wonderfully that basically Potiphar didn't pay attention even to what was happening. He knew it was all safe and prosperous under the hand of Joseph. And of course, that was God working through him and blessing. So this was a high. He'd had a terrible low. Now he has a great high. Well, things were going along very well with Joseph in charge of Potiphar's affairs, doing such a great job. But then a fly in the ointment. 
Guess what that was? That was Potiphar's wife. Joseph apparently was a handsome, good-looking, capable, affable young man. And she lusted after him in a sexual way. And so she tried to get him to go to bed with her. But he wouldn't do it. He was a man of God. He believed in morality. He did not believe in going against Potiphar by taking his wife. Potiphar had given him everything in the house, basically, to be in charge of, but of course he couldn't take his wife like that. But she was very persistent, and she just wanted to go to bed with him. But he resisted the temptation. Well, one day, all the other servants were out of the house, and just Joseph was there, working, of course, as he should. Well, she went with him and she propositioned him again. She wanted to go to bed with him. And he basically said, no. How could he sin against God and do such a thing? And so he rejected her. Well, you've heard about a woman rejected and so forth. Well, if she couldn't have him, she was going to destroy him. So her lust turned to hatred. And she basically grabbed some of his clothes and went around screaming, he tried to rape me, he tried to rape me. Look what happened. So finally Potiphar comes home, and so she tells him this lie. So Potiphar throws Joseph into prison. Now you know it's interesting to me, he didn't just say let's execute him. I kind of wonder, did he suspect maybe, just maybe she was lying? <laughs> But at any rate, he threw him into prison. And so that's what we find here in chapter 41. Joseph is in prison. Right before chapter 41, in fact, like a couple years before, God had blessed him, everything he does shall prosper. God had blessed him in the prison. So much so that, believe it or not, the warden, the head jailer, made Joseph in charge of the other prisoners. <laughs> and so Joseph was exalted there in the prison. God was blessing and working through him. Well, one day, two years before, Genesis 41, there were two of Pharaoh's servants in the prison as well. One was the butler, one was his baker, Pharaoh's baker. And each man had a dream. Well, Pharaoh's butler had a dream and he told it to Joseph. And Joseph interpreted it. God had given Joseph the ability to interpret the dreams. Not only had he had some prophetical dreams earlier, but now he could interpret the butler's dream. And basically the interpretation was this. In three days, you're going to be released, and you're going to assume your former position. You're going to resume as Pharaoh's butler. You'll give the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Well, the other one, the baker, he saw that was a good interpretation. So he was emboldened to tell Joseph his dream. Well, he told him his dream his dream, though, <laughs> didn't have such a nice interpretation. 
His dream was basically in three days, again, three days, and happened to be a birthday of Pharaoh's, in three days, you were going to be executed. <laughs> well, both those things happened. In three days, the butler was restored to his position, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And in three days, the baker was executed. But Joseph had asked the butler, when you're restored back to your position, intercede for me to Pharaoh. I was wrongfully placed in here. You know, a lot of prisoners say, well, I'm innocent, but they aren't. But in this case, it was true. But what did the butler do? Well, it tells us he got released, he was back with Pharaoh, and he forgot all about Joseph. <laughs> that really shows a lot of human nature, doesn't it? Well, finally, though, something happened that caused him to think about Joseph again. Well, what was that? Now let's go to this amazing chapter, 41 of Genesis. <clears throat> and it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed. Okay, now Pharaoh's going to have a dream. In fact, it turns out to be two. And look, he stood by the river. And look, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kine, cows, and fat-fleshed. They really were good-looking, strong, healthy cows. And they fed in the meadow. And look, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed and stood by the other kine, by the other cows upon the brink of the river. And the ill-favored and lean-fleshed cows did eat up the seven well-flavored and fat cows. So Pharaoh woke up. But you know, he realized this was something special. It was very vivid. He just knew it had to have a meaning. And slept again, and he dreamed the second time, and look, Behold, seven ears of corn came up on one stalk, fat and good. And look, seven thin ears and blasted with the east wind sprang up after them. The seven thin ears, the skinny ones, ate up the seven fat and full ears. And again, Pharaoh woke up. And look, it was a dream. So now he'd had two dreams that were very similar, had he not. Well, what happened? Verse 8. And it happened in the morning that his spirit was troubled at his pharaohs. He was worried about this. He was concerned. And he sent and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men of it. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. <laughs> no, they didn't know what it meant. And you remember some centuries later, Moses dealt with Pharaoh's magicians and wise men, and they were confounded before him in the power of God. The Bible takes a very dim view against magicians, sorcerers, diviners, necromancers, this kind of thing, because 
people are using them instead of God and trusting in them instead of the Lord. And so they couldn't answer it. They didn't know what the dreams meant. Ah, now is when the butler remembers. <laughs> then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh saying, it seems to me he had courage to do this. What if he'd said what he's going to say here and it hadn't worked out? Maybe Pharaoh would put him back in the prison or even executed him. But anyway, whatever. Then spoke the chief butler to Pharaoh saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was angry with his servants and he put me in ward in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night. I and he, we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man, a Hebrew, a slave of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams. To each man, according to his dream, he did interpret. So finally he remembers and he shares with Pharaoh at a very critical time. And it happened as he interpreted to us, so it was. Me, he restored to my office. Sounds like perhaps it was an earlier pharaoh. And him, he hanged. <laughs> then pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself, and he changed his clothing, and he came in to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've dreamed a dream, and there is none who can interpret it. And I've heard say about you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, this is a great answer, isn't it? Saying, it is not in me, God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So he was humble and he gave God the credit, even as we should, in all good things. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, look, I stood upon the bank of the river. And look, there came up out of the river seven cows, fat-fleshed and well-favored, and they fed in, the in a meadow. And look, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ill-flavored and lean-fleshed such as I never saw in all the land of Egypt for badness. And the lean and ill-favored cows did eat up the first seven fat cows. And when they'd eaten them up, it couldn't even be known that they'd eaten them, but they were still ill-favored, like at the beginning. So I woke up. And I saw in my dream, now he's going to tell him about the second one, and look, seven ears came up in one stalk, full and good. And look, seven ears, withered, thin, and blasted with the east wind, sprang up after them. And the thin ears gobbled up the seven good ears. And I told this to the magicians, but there was none who could declare it to me. Nobody could interpret it, tell me what it means. And Joseph said to Pharaoh, okay, now we're going to see what Really, God had us in mind here. God has given Joseph interpretive powers. So here's what he said. The dream of Pharaoh is one. 
In other words, it all means the same thing. It's pointing to the same interpretation. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. And the seven thin and ill-favored cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty years blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he reveals to Pharaoh. Look, there come, now here he really spells it out. There come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. In other words, there are going to be bumper crops. There's going to be seven wonderful, prosperous, bountiful years. And there shall rise after them seven years of famine. That was going to be followed by seven horrible years. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of that famine which is following. For it shall be very severe. And for that the dream was doubled to Pharaoh twice, it is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. It's just interesting that Joseph's two earlier dreams were basically one as well. Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise, set him over all the land of Egypt. So not only does he interpret the dream, now he proceeds to give him some very wise advice. He dares to do that. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land, and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years, and let them gather all the food of those good years which come, and lay up corn under the or grain under the hand of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, and that the land perish not through the famine. So in other words, he says, during seven years, harvest it, keep it, store it. A little bit like if you're going toward retirement, prepare for your retirement. At any rate, he tells them what to do, to save corn in the good years. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. They recognized that this was an accurate interpretation. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Forasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is none so wise and discreet as you are. You shall be over my house. And according to the word, your word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. Can you imagine that? He makes him second in command over all Egypt. <laughs> Only in the throne I'll be greater. You're the second in command of the whole country. Now, wouldn't you say this is an amazing change of situation from the prison to the palace? Earlier, 
He'd been a slave and he was exalted in the house of Potiphar. Now he's released from jail and he's second in command of Egypt. Wouldn't you say this is almost unbelievable? <laughs> Amazing what happened here. But God cares for those who trust in him. Now over in the book of Psalms, a somewhat summarized version of what I've just shared with you is found in Psalm 105. We begin with verse 17. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, whose feet they hurt in fetters. He was laid in iron. That's a bit of an insight of how he had been treated, a very difficult thing. Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tested him. And the king sent, that is Pharaoh, and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. And he made him lord of his house and ruler over all his substance, to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his senators wisdom. God cares for those who trust in him. We need to trust in him in good times. We need to trust in him in bad times. We need not turn against God if we're going through trials and troubles but all the more should we depend on the Lord. Well, you can study the rest of Genesis 41 and see how it worked out. It worked out very beautifully. They went ahead and saved the grain, and then it was available after the famine came, and the people came and they bought it. But it was interesting what happened. They bought it, and finally they ran out of money by and large. And so they offered to sell themselves to Pharaoh as slaves. So he, he bought, they bought the grain and they became Pharaoh's slaves. So Pharaoh really came out quite well, didn't he? He was not only the king, but he owned everything and he owned the people. But Joseph was highly exalted. He was given a wife. He had two children. And what eventually happened was most amazing. You see, the famine also affected the, his family, Joseph's family in the land of Canaan. And I don't want to go into all that, but what happened, they had to send to Egypt to buy food, to survive. And Joseph tested the brothers that came they admitted their crime of what they had done to him. They did not recognize him. Here he was, great Egyptian, almost like a king, and he did not let them know he understood what they were saying. They just didn't know who he was. But you see, they had bowed down to him. And so he, you can read the details, but he tested them to see whether they repented of what they had done to him. A severe test, and they had. They realized they'd done wrong, and they were sorry what they'd done. Well, eventually it boiled down to the rest of the family, all of them moved into Egypt, where there was grain and where they were preferred and where they had a certain 
amount of land for their cattle called Goshen, land of Goshen. So that's how we get the Israelites, the Hebrews, into Egypt. Well, it was centuries later that they multiplied and became a nation and were made slaves there in Egypt and the situation of Moses and their exodus and release and so on occurred. But God used Joseph to save the Hebrew nation, that which would become the Hebrew Jewish people. God used Moses, or God used Jacob, uh, Joseph. <laughs> Finally, we'll get it right. God used Joseph to save the people. Now, when you think about Joseph, and you th very carefully look at the parallels between him and Jesus, it's amazing how many there are. Jesus was sold for silver, so was Joseph. Joseph provided bread for the people. Jesus is the bread of life. Joseph suffered immensely. Jesus suffered beyond immensely for our sins. Jesus was exalted from the cross to the crown. Joseph was exalted from the prison to the palace. If you read in Genesis very carefully about all these things, maybe you'll come up with as many as 24 parallels, representations of Jesus by Joseph. I believe Joseph was a type of the redeemer of mankind. One very interesting thing, we find that it was told by Pharaoh to the people, whatever he says to you, do, later on in the passage there in chapter 41. In John chapter 2, verse 5, we find that Mary, the mother of Jesus, told the servants at the wedding of Cain of Galilee, whatever he says to you, do. <laughs> Very interesting, they said the same thing. And of course, you know what happened there at Cain of Galilee. They went ahead and did what they were told, and Jesus transformed the water into wine. An amazing creative miracle at the beginning of his ministry. And so we find in Joseph a beautiful picture and representation of Jesus, the Savior, who is going to come. But again, I see a basic truth here. God cares for those who trust in him. So that calls us to be a part of that caring God's blessing as you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, God cares for you. He forgives you. He gives you eternal life. He imputes his righteousness to you. And he promises you exaltation and a place in heaven someday with the Lord. Well, what do you think about Genesis 41? What do you think about this exaltation? What do you think about his life? We trust God as a result. We know God is in charge. We know God knows the beginning from the ending. And so we need to trust him, not only to save our souls, but to guide us and direct us every day of our lives.
May we bow in prayer and dedication. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your power and your love, your knowledge, your wisdom, your caring for us. May we truly experience a vital trust personally in you every day of our lives. You are worthy of our praise and of our trust and of our love. We thank you that we may now remember that great death on the cross for us, that death and in inaugurated and brought into pass the New Testament, the New Testament in your blood. We thank you that the old has been fulfilled and superseded in the new. Thank you for Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, the mediator between God and men. May we at this moment commit ourselves to you and may we examine our hearts and may we truly approach the communion table with reverence and with praise and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat>